This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of uh, speaking with my uh, dear friend and colleague, Dr. Javier Lasala, who is an associate professor in the Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Medicine in the Division of Anesthesiology and Critical Care at the University of Texas uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And uh, the reason for the, the podcast today is uh, we're going to be talking about a recent article that uh, Javier, uh, I call him Javi, um, uh, La Sala has published in the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer, Impact of Anesthesia Technique on uh, Postoperative Opioid Use in Open Gynecologic Surgery in an Enhanced Recovery After Surgery uh, Pathway. So Javi, welcome uh, to the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me, Pedro. Pleasure. So this is, uh, you know, obviously one of the things that we've always emphasized is that anesthesia is a major component in the success of uh, any enhanced recovery program. And it is essential, obviously, to have the team of anesthesiologists on board. Um, so I wanted to start. Um, can you uh, begin by just briefly discussing what are the three uh, different types of uh, anesthesia that um, uh, one could potentially uh, use when uh, performing surgery. So thank you. So um, the three main uh, types of anesthesia that will be uh, provided for any open gynecologic oncologic case are uh, a basic general anesthetic, which involves a uh, approach with, with an inhalational technique and mm -hmm. opioid-based anesthesia. You have a combined technique which would involve using an inhalation anesthetic with um, IV infusions of medications. And you have a total uh, IV anesthetic, also known as a TIVA, which would be based on solely IV infusions of, medic of anesthetics with no use of inhalational agents. Other kinds of anesthetics that might be uh, used in other gynecologic populations, but not focus on what this manuscript was on. On uh, regarding op open gynecologic procedures would be MAC techniques or monitored anesthetic techniques or regional techniques. Say a lot, you see that a lot in your OB population. The, say spinals, epidurals. Yeah. But uh, in terms of our of our of our conversation today, uh, general combined and TIV are going to be the main the main anesthesia uh, components. Great. And type. Great. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners, particularly international listeners, that TIVA. Uh, again, stands for total intravenous anesthesia. So we're going to be using a lot of uh, this uh, this abbreviation through the through the discussion. So now um, I was wondering if you can also, um, just in terms of getting a lot of this terminology um, out of the way, we before we go into the details of the study, um, what is the meaning of multimodal analgesia? So the meaning of multimodal analgesia is a, a pharmacologic method of pain management, which combines various groups of medications for pain relief. The most commonly combined medication groups include local anesthetics, opioids, non-NSAIDs uh, or the, you know, the non-inflammatory medications such as ibuprofen, for example, acetaminophen, and alpha-2 uh, agonist medications, an example being dexmedetomidine or clonidine. Uh, to provide uh, analgesia, anti-inflammatory effects, and an opioid-sparing approach for anesthesia. Great. So now um, let's discuss the study. Um, what was your hypothesis, and what was the primary objective of the study? 
So the, uh, the primary objective of our study was to examine the effect of anesthesia technique in an ERAS pathway. So ERAS, as you all know, enhanced recovery after surgery pathway and open uh, gynecologic surgery and its effect on post-operative opioid use. We, um, our working hypothesis was that the total, uh, the total intravenous anesthesia technique, the TIVA technique, would uh, give us the best post-operative opioid reduction. Great, and uh, and basically, your your objective was to evaluate the opioid use in the post-operative period, uh, if I understand that correctly. Correct. the The main focus was to look at post-operative uh, opioid consumption yeah. using uh, the the three uh, anesthesia techniques. Right, and then um, it, getting on to the study design, you mentioned the the three groups. Um, tell us a little bit about each of those groups. So, uh, as we said before, you know we have the three groups: general, combined, and TIVA. So, the general uh, technique are were patients that received an anesthetic where only inhalational agent was used, no multimodal techniques, and uh, opioid analgesia was the sole analgesia component. So, as I mentioned before, with the multimodal analgesia and this definition. We didn't, those, those patients didn't have any of those components. The combined technique uh, encompasses the use of those multimodal techniques with uh, either using uh, all inhalational technique or using some inhalational technique with, uh, with a propofol-based um, adjuvant for uh, the anesthetic. It's essentially, almost a full TIVA technique, a total intravenous anesthesia technique, but using a supplemental inhalational agent uh, for it. Mm-hmm. And then the third technique, the, the TIVA technique that we've mentioned, is, is solely, completely all IV multimodal analgesia techniques, no inhalational agent, and hence uh, propofol is used as the main anesthetic uh, maintenance infusion for, um, for the patients in, in, instead of using inhalational uh, anesthetic agents. Yeah. And Abby, as a follow-up question to that, and again, I mean, without going into the specific percentages or, but just your sense as an anesthesiologist, uh, you know, obviously as surgeons, often we, we're not aware as to what or which one of these is being used in, in, uh, in, in uh, cases. Um, would you say that overall, which of these three approaches would you say is the most popular or the most commonly used, I would say? So in, in the in, in our population here in, in the United States, I believe the combined technique okay. is the most the most popular technique. Yeah. All right. So then now, um, what type of patients uh, were included and excluded from uh, this particular study? Well, in our study, participants had to be 18 years uh, or older and undergo a midline incision for an exploratory laparotomy for gynecologic surgery. Uh, for patients undergoing multiple surgeries at different time points, only the first surgery was included in the analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, patients on long-acting or scheduled opioid medications, which was defined as four or more times a day for more than seven days for short-acting opioid medications, were, were the ones that were considered chronic opioid users with a history of chronic pain, and these were excluded. So mm-hmm. no chronic pain patients. Mm-hmm. Patients undergoing uh, pelvic acceleration surgeries or abdominal wall hernia repairs were also excluded as we couldn't ensure the full participation in the ERES pathway due to the co-management with uh, other surgical services outside the, uh, outside 
the specific service line, for example, plastic surgeons and, and those kind of cases. Mm-hmm. In addition, patients undergoing emergency surgery were excluded, and surg- surgical complexity was assessed by using the surgical complexity scores, which was categorized into the three groups, low complexity, intermediate, and high, mm-hmm. according to previous publications that we have. Okay. So then now on to the, the, the main message. What was the uh, result of the study? So... Um, the the main results of our study, I think, were we it was really great study given the that we analyzed so many years of data from from November 2014 through December 2018, and we had a total of 1,184 patients, or a, a great sample size, who underwent general anesthesia using either the inhalational agent, uh, TIVA, the combined technique. Uh, what we found um, in our population actually is it was basically pretty evenly distributed the, the different techniques utilized. About one-third were inhalational, a third were uh, close to a third were TIVA, and close to a third were combined. So what we found was um, that the TIVA technique was associated with a decrease in post-operative consumption of opioids after open gynecologic surgery in patients on an ERAS pathway, the ERAS pathway that we have implemented here at MD Anderson. Mm-hmm. And uh, now... On to some additional questions, obviously, and in many of these questions, I, I would say, uh, were uh, previously uh, sent in from our uh, um, uh, fellows, the editorial fellows of the International Journal of uh, Gynecological Cancer. So the uh, one of the first questions that they uh, proposed was after the favorable results obtained by the TIVA technique in uh, open surgery, um, what role do you think uh, the... Um, epidural analgesia might have, um, and you know, certainly in terms of clarification, was an epidural used in any of these patients? So in our enhanced recovery pathway, uh, we do not use any epidurals. Actually, all patients receive local infiltration with a quarter percent bupivacaine. We also do not use Uh, liposomal bupivacaine, also known as uh, Expero, in our enhanced recovery pathway. That being said, to answer the question more directly, um, our patients do not receive epidural analgesia, and I don't think in our enhanced recovery pathway any of them would benefit from epidural analgesia from what we've seen. Does that, is, is there still a place for epidural analgesia? I think there is, but in a very, very, very um, select patient population and select patient procedures. So I, I would think only maybe in a chronic uh, pain uh, patient or uh, a, sur- a, a, a surgery of, of such magnitude that we, would, that we wouldn't be able to provide uh, adequate analgesia with the infiltration or, or the, uh, the multimodal techniques and enhanced recovery pathway. But that being said, we haven't we haven't performed an epidural in our practice for any of these of these open uh, gynecologic uh, patients yeah. since uh, since we started our enhanced recovery uh, pathway in November 2014. So I think the short answer would be I think we can exclude epidural analgesia from from the pathway. Absolutely. And then now um, one of the other questions that came up was, um, do you think that there is today uh, any indication or ideally uh, any particular patient population where only the inhalational technique should be used? That's a great question. Um, in, in the United States, when it, when it, it, um, you know, 
things are, are work a little differently maybe than other countries. One of the, the 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 reasons that inhalational technique is used a lot is because it's extremely predictable. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, what's called the um, the we don't we don't have the equipment in, in anesthesia in the United States. It's not FDA approved that is, that tells us uh, when we're running Tiva if um, what the level of Tiva is in the in the patient. So a lot of our Tiva is done. Uh, using, uh, we don't have these. That what's known as the target infusion uh, pump. So, we do it a lot uh, based on clinical, uh, our our uh, our BIS monitors, which are by spectral index indexes, kind of EEG monitoring. Mm-hmm. So, what happens sometimes is, it's not extremely, it's not very predictable, especially in ambulatory settings or or settings that we want to have quick. Uh, predictable wake-ups for um, for patients to be discharged mm-hmm. in a timely fashion. So inhalational technique is still very popular in those in those uh, patient settings. Also, it's 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 popular throughout uh, operating room, given the fact that we don't have that equipment for to monitor Tiva. But also, uh, like I said, it's very predictable, and the providers feel very comfortable using it. They um, they know they know how to how to administer it. Um, correctly and safely. Tiva involves more imp- more uh, more active involvement from providers, and here sometimes our our, our provider ratios are not. We're not taking care of patients one to one. Sometimes we're taking care of one patient with uh, two, three, four nurse anesthetists monitoring the patients for, with us. Mm-hmm. So um, the availability of the anesthesiologist to be in every room at all times monitoring. The titration of, of of the anesthetics is is not always available. So sometimes that's why we'll see more now of incorporation of the combined techniques versus inhalational mm-hmm. because they're adding the multimodal component, but they're still maintaining some of the inhalational technique to have a more predictable anesthetic emergence yeah. and extubation. The other the other factor is it's it's still being looked at, but Tiva is probably a more costly anesthetic. So some centers, um, given the cost constraints, will will ha- will prefer anesthesiologists using inhalational techniques mm. or a combined technique versus full total IV techniques, given the cost of, of uh, propofol infusion for lung cases. Very good. And and then now well, as a follow up question to that, um, do you have a a uh, a particular cocktail of agents that you consider are ideal? optimal regimen for Tiva uh, when administering this type of anesthesia? So um, in, in my, in my practice, um, of course, propofol is going to be the main, the main, the mainstay. Uh, it'll be the infusion that provides that maintenance. Mm-hmm. And then what I like to incorporate, I like to incorporate ketamine. It's, um, it's a, it's a great analgesic medication. It also provides amnesia uh, as well. And it's, it's very, um, it, it 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 moves from the it doesn't affect your rest their respiratory drive and and respiratory depression uh, much but it's providing great analgesia so it's a great substitute for an opioid um, and then I also like to use uh, dexmedetomidine and alpha two agonists so there I have the NMDA and the alpha two agonists um, uh, running throughout the case depends on the on the, the magnitude of the case sometimes I like lidocaine which provides some anti-inflammatory action as well as analgesia. Mm-hmm. In our pathway, we have, uh, we're giving patients pre-medicate, uh, 
uh, we're pre-medicating patients before we're going to the OR. Mm-hmm. So they're getting, they're also getting the uh, acetaminophen component, the anti-inflammatory component with uh, the ibuprofen or Celebrex. So we're adding, so adding that again to the, um, to the anesthetic. So if, uh, if a case is going uh, above six hours, I'll redose those medications intraoperatively. So I'll continue the acetaminophen and I'll continue the, uh, the the ketor the the I'll give it as maybe ketorolac the uh, the anti-inflammatory agent so that way we can we can provide that that um, that multimodal technique for patients excellent and then now um, Javi one of the other questions came from our fellows was was there any difference uh, in terms of um, the anesthesia related complications in terms of postoperative nausea vomiting ileus um, changes in blood pressure uh, in the three groups of this study. So actually, in this study, we actually didn't specifically look at the uh, opioid complications. Uh, we're actually looking at them uh, right now uh, in a um, in a protocol that we're uh, we're analyzing the data currently. We're going to be looking at the side effects and also look at patient reported outcomes and uh, patient patient um, satisfaction from from our, our anesthetic techniques. So that's something that we'll hopefully be publishing in the future. Fantastic. Um, the next question comes from Alex Matumbo, who is one of our fellows in Africa, and he uh, would like to know, um, you reported, you know, certainly that the overwhelming majority of patients in your study were Caucasian. Do you have any reason to believe whether um, uh, race or ethnicity would have uh, different outcomes based on the type of anesthesia technique? That's a great question. So uh, it's, it's tough to say. Um, there's not a lot of, of data and evidence on this, but what we do know in anesthesia is, um, so our, so first of all, you know, the, our, our patient population here um, at the MD Anderson, you know, we're in the United States, so it is going to be predominantly Caucasian. Uh, what we do know about anesthesia is there are differences in, anesthe- in, in, in anesthesia requirements in the, the red, actually the redhead population that's been known. They require more anesthetic. Um, there's been some some data published on different kinds of Jewish populations and how that when they looked at them, um, there were different requirements of anesthetic in those populations. So there's very little um, data on this, but it, it it is quite possible. It's been it's been reported that given different genetics of different populations, um, there can be small and sub- subtle differences in in anesthetic requirements. That being said, it's probably more of a research uh, tool than than what we would see clinically. Uh, presented to us in, in day-to-day operations of, of of administering anesthesia. The one thing that has been published in anesthesia, is, you know, regarding uh, um, uh, the, the difference is is more so on the on the delivery of the anesthesia for depending on different populations. You know, which kind un, uh, underserved populations are more likely to get more of a depends on their hospitals are going to a cost-effective anesthetic right. versus maybe a more optimal anesthetic. Uh, for their for their treatment, but but I cannot give a, a, a definite answer if there is a, an effect on, on on race or ethnicity on the anesthesia Great. that we're administering. Oh, thank you. And um, and his next question was: um, When doing combined anesthesia, is this something that the anesthesiologist plans ahead of time to definitely perform combined, or do you go from perhaps 
your plan was full Tiva, and then you have to change to a, a combined approach? So, um, so both actually, uh, that's a good question. So sometimes, uh, uh, the, I mean, the, the, one of the scenarios that happens a lot is we start with a Tiva technique and for some reason during the case, um, if a clinical scenario occurs that, you know, we, a uh, patient starts getting extremely hypotensive or we're having uh blood loss occur, we might have to titrate the infusions. And at that point, uh, given that some of these infusions cause a lot of vasodilatation, we might have to go to a, say, a, a low, a low volatile uh, inhalational technique uh, and add it to the to the infusions or or start uh, nitrous oxide, which has uh, very uh, very minimal effects on hemodynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes providers do do start do plan their case. Um, I would say I'm going to do this case combined mm-hmm. because they want to. Uh, incorporate the multimodal techniques in their anesthetic, but at the same time, like I had mentioned before, a lot of it has has to do here in the United States. Given that we don't have the target controlled infusions, is it is kind of an art. You have to get very comfortable how you're you're delivering uh, the Tiva technique. So they'll feel com- more comfortable providing the the multimodal techniques with lower amounts of propofol or no propofol with the inhalation of volatile agent. So it gives them that predictability and uh, of that anesthetic delivery. Because if you don't, if you're not comfortable doing Tiva, actually, the, even though we, I can say, I think I, I firmly believe that Tiva has great benefits. A bad Tiva is not going to give you good benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can delay emergence. Uh, the patient may, can, might be overdosed with a lot of the, the multimodal techniques and it, it just, they might get, uh, overly sedated, um, you know, the PACU stay might be longer. So, um, there, there, there can be, um, uh, a bad, you know, not all Tiva's good Tiva. So <laughs> I think that's why, that's why some, some of our providers will, will start up, will just, uh, you know, as a question is, is, is framed. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll either start combined because that's how they feel comfortable or it turns to be a, mm-hmm. it turns into a combined technique given what it is found intraoperatively. Uh, and what's going to be best for the patient. Great. Um, and now I have a uh, question regarding the, uh, the specifics on the study itself. Uh, were there any differences in terms of the post-operative non-opioid analgesics that were used between the, the groups? Um, so again, we didn't look at this specifically in, in, in our, in our study, but, um, different uh, differences in utilization. We are looking. We're gonna. We're looking down. We're gonna be looking for our next in our in our in our next data points. Um, but we want to really see if uh, giving uh, cutting down on the opioids uh, in the post-operative. What we saw is there is there also a difference in the other uh, analgesic techniques that were used in the in the post-operative technique uh, in the post-operative uh, order set that that we have under our enhanced recovery pathway. Mm-hmm. Great. And then this. But, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Thing we really want, to, yeah, but uh, sorry, but post POMV is something that's key that that we're going to look at because it has been described in the literature that when when we look at the difference between Tiva and inhalational agents, what has been looked at is you know uh, post-operative nausea and vomiting significantly lower in that population, and patient satisfaction is low is is much higher in the Tiva population as well. So that's why we want to look at our technique and our patient-reported outcomes um, yeah. that we're actually looking at right now to to see if there's a, there's a, you know, if that, if the TIVA is giving us the benefit 
of the post-operative opioid consumption on top of higher patient satisfaction uh, and lower PONV, which is which would be a, a great thing to keep from to keep uh, suggesting that Tiva is is uh, is the the way to go on an enhanced recovery pathway. Yeah, I'm actually I'm looking forward to seeing the results of the patient reported outcomes after after Tiva. Um, one of the other questions uh, comes from Nicolo Bizarri from uh, Italy, uh, one of our uh, fellows as well. Um, do you think you would see uh, these same results in patients undergoing minimally invasive surgery for gynecologic cancer? That's a, I mean, that's a great question, and 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 a few things of what I've kind of said here just a, a minute ago might might uh, might, uh, might might be seen on the MIS population. So, I mean, what we know is uh, an enhanced recovery pathway. What we've been seeing is, you know, MIS surgery really really um you know open what what the enhanced recovery pathway does with open surgery it brings it closer to the results from MIS MIS is you know as we know it's minimally invasive smaller incisions less less trauma less surgical stress on the patient mm-hmm. so sometimes with the uh, M- the MIS patients on enhanced recovery pathway the the difference is not as obvious as is what we've seen with the open even though there is still a benefit um and we 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 are giving them less Less opioids, and we are giving them and uh, put less um, less opioids going home. So those are those are um, good good benefits from the enhanced recovery and MIS. What we probably would see, and and um, and and in patients go in MIS surgery, if we looked at the different techniques, is I think you know um, like I said before, the Tiva technique, we're gonna it's gonna have the lower PONV, the post-operative nausea and vomiting, which for MIS surgery is key because MIS surgery tends to be ambulatory. Mm-hmm. So if we're having patients uh, postoperatively having nausea and vomiting, not feeling well, their discharge uh, might be delayed. So that increases costs. Uh, or they might have to be admitted, again, uh, kind of defeating the purpose of ambulatory same-day surgery. Mm-hmm. At the same time, in- increasing costs as well, which is something that we, we focus on a lot here. Um, also, um, I think what we might, um, there was an ambulatory meta-analysis done in anesthesia that, that looked at this too, and, and patient satisfaction scores were higher on the, uh, on the, on the ambulatory TIVA group. So I think that is something that we will see with the MIS patients, and it's probably patient satisfaction is probably higher because they don't feel as sick after anesthesia. Um, the inhalation of volatile agents can cause post-operative nausea and vomiting, and opioids also cause post-operative nausea and vomiting. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes sense that you, by taking those away, um, that your patient satisfaction is going to be higher with the lower PONV. So I think that those are those are the results we would see. Um, but I don't think when it comes to the postoperative opioid that we were looking at, it would be as significant as an open uh, surgery. Yeah. And then now um, another question from this one is uh, Irina Sibula from uh, Austria. Um, she her question is: um, Do you see a similar opioid consumption with inhalational and intravenous, in other words, combined. Um, and how, do, how does this play out in terms of the benefit of uh, a TIVA? Uh, in other words, uh, could, could one see the same results with combined as opposed to uh, TIVA? So, um, you know, from that question, um, what I'm kind of getting, uh, getting, getting from is, you know, the, the kind of the best answer I can give is we, we, in this study, we, we just looked at the techniques. We didn't look, um, at the amount 
of the of the multimodal agent that was given uh, the combined technique or the amount given the Tiva technique. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that 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 if we if we looked at um, in more detail, and maybe we can we can look at it going forward because it would be useful, is you know if if um, the patients that are receiving the Tiva technique are getting a, a higher a higher uh, rate of the multimodal agent, say for example the higher dose of ketamine dexmedetomidine, for example, mm. or lidocaine, and versus the uh, the patients on the combined uh, techniques or, or uh, uh, you know inhalational techniques aren't getting any any of these, but on the combined techniques, those 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 um, those providers might be giving the uh, the patients much lower uh, doses, so the effect is not as different is um, a different when you look at the combined technique and the inhalational technique versus the, the big the difference that you notice with when you look just at the Tiva technique, and that that might be a reason that the combined and the inhalational techniques are so uh, are um, are kind of similar mm-hmm. in in what they showed. Right, and now um, she also asked, uh, and you you previously mentioned a little bit about um, how you excluded chronic opioid users. Her question is, do you think and you postulate as to whether you would see the same degree of benefit from TIVA in that patient population, the chronic opioid users? I think so in the sense of, you know, the chronic opioid users are going to require opioids. But what, what we might be able to do is not increase their opioid demand. So if we can keep them at their baseline opioid level that they need for 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 in their in their daily day to day, and not have it spike from the stress of surgery, I think that'd be a great great benefit to them. Um, just you know, they are chronic opioid users, it is, but we don't need to be increasing their opioid doses even more. That keeps you know perpetuating the cycle and making it and making it worse uh, on them in the long term. Can increase their opioid related adverse uh, events, side effects, etc. Um, so, so yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, a technique could definitely, uh, provide advantage to the chronic opioid users. And then this might be one of those small instances that, uh, using neuroexo anesthesia might be a benefit. Um, maybe a single shot spinal in- uh, injection of, uh, intrathecal opioid, mm. uh, help them, you know, have a, a more a stable level of opioid or have an epidural catheter to sub without opioid to supplement, um, and and help and help them with their analgesia, with the goal of not increasing their opioid um, uh, requirements. Yeah. So then now, Javi, uh, one one last question I have for you. I always ask this of the authors: um, How do the results of this study uh, impact current practice? What would you say to uh, surgeons or anesthesiologists that are listening to this podcast? And has it changed your own personal practice here at MD Anderson? Yeah, I mean that's a fantastic question. I think uh, what what is what what does this show to to me and and to a lot of members of our group is that you know the enhanced recovery pathways are are working really well. Um, multimodal analgesia um, when used, you know, in a Tiva technique is ideal. Um, if you're not comfortable with the Tiva technique, I mean, it's still it's still good to to do a combined technique and promote that multimodal analgesia. So I think that's really, um, we're really increasing the, the, the amount of TIVA and combined techniques at our institution, um, going re- really decreasing the amount of opioids. I've also, I've also um, learned a lot from, from this study and, and from the study that we published um, 
regarding the uh, liposomal bupivacaine versus regular uh, bupivacaine that we performed that on an enhanced recovery pathway, we saw that plain bupivacaine worked better than, than, than the liposomal technique. So what we're doing with the preoperative analgesia, the intraoperative multimodal components and the postoperative uh, order sets that we have, uh, we've reduced postoperative consumption. Mm-hmm. We've reduced costs because the cost of uh, local bupivacaine infiltration is a lot lower. And we're providing great patient experience given uh, data that's been published with, uh, from, from the team with uh, regarding patient-reported outcomes and how well they're doing and this decrease in post-operative consumption, decrease in pain scores, and patients are going home with a lot fewer prescriptions for opioids and using less of them. So um, all, every, every time we look at the data and we've been publishing it, uh, it just it just kind of reaffirms the fact that enhanced recovery uh, protocols and, and the pathways when followed correctly and when intraoperatively we do our part as anesthesiologists and 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 promote opioid sparing, good multimodal analgesia, we're we're doing a great job for uh, patient outcomes and patient satisfaction and 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 decreasing the uh, the opioid uh, use in, in in our hospital and. And you know, subsequently, um, in the uh, population. Well, Javi, thank you so much. Uh, you know, certainly, I have to um, congratulate you on your first your leadership in uh, ERAS anesthesia. Um, I also want to thank you uh, for the amazing support in pulling together uh, a great team of anesthesiologists that support our group here in enhanced recovery in gynecologic oncology at MD Anderson. And uh, thank you once again for, for your uh, research, your work, your publications, and submitting those to the International Journal of uh, Gynecological Cancer. I would just only also add to our audience that as a surgeon, um, certainly I would encourage uh, all of you to speak to your anesthesiologist about integrating this concept of total intravenous anesthesia to your enhanced recovery programs because I really truly feel it makes a great favorable positive impact on the outcomes for our patients. So, Javi, thank you so much uh, once again for your time. Thank you for having me.